0: Welcome to High Heels and Politics with Mary Ann Christie. This is the podcast where current and future leaders discuss the issues facing us in Southwest Ohio and beyond. Here is Mary Ann Christie. Welcome to High Heels and Politics. Today's interview will present the Ohio listeners the future direction of programs and policies that will impact their lives. Our guest, is one of the governors that has been initiated into the bobblehead hall of fame. Well, maybe it isn't the top distinction one seeks to achieve, but nevertheless, he is only one of four governors. I will reveal the secret about this later in the podcast. This interesting and provocative interview will focus on the direction as we prepare to say goodbye to the pandemic. Yes, your host, Marianne Christie, is optimistic. I've had my first vaccine and will shortly get my second one. Our guest today is Governor Mike DeWine. Welcome, Governor. Governor Marianne,
1: good morning. Thank you very much for having me.
0: Governor, you have served the people of Ohio in a long, distinguished career, including the U.S. Senate, Ohio Attorney General, and today as the governor. Our listeners would like to hear how your experiences has helped you navigate the pandemic and the economic crisis that we have that is confronting the people in Ohio and across the United States. Provide us with a snapshot of the direction that you have taken and why.
1: Well, first of all, Marianne, thank you for having me on the show, and I'm glad you got your your first shot. That's a great thing, and I know Ohioans are, are getting these shots, and it's uh it's it's very, very good. Uh, this is the first time we're really on the offense as, instead of on the defense in regard to this virus, uh, but uh, as you point out, I have had a long, long career, and I, I think that you know that experience, uh, while I've never been Governor uh, before, I think the experience in in public service at the county level, state level, federal level, now at the state level again has really been invaluable. And you know, I really think Marion have learned a number of things, uh, and you usually learn from your mistakes more than you learn from your successes. And so as I you know, as we approach this uh, pandemic, you know, none of us had any experience in dealing with it. Uh, We haven't had anything like this really for for 100 years. No experience, but my experience in government has has taught me uh, that where I've made mistakes in the past, it's usually because I didn't have enough facts, I didn't have enough information, I didn't dig deep enough, I didn't ask enough questions. Throughout the pandemic, I've, I've tried to do that. I tried to rely on experts, but I've also, when experts gave me information, I would push back and ask questions. So it's been that approach, I think, that's been very, very helpful to me. The other thing that, you know, I've really learned over my four decades of, of public office is that once you get the facts, once you you're satisfied that you've learned as much as you can learn, you really sort of have to go on your gut instinct. And, and frankly, when I have made mistakes, uh, it's either because I didn't have enough facts or I didn't rely on my own kind of sense of what we should be doing and sometimes I'd I'd look around in decisions and uh, you know I was one place and most everybody else was someplace else and if I went the other way that was that was usually a mistake so those are kind of two big lessons that I've taken into this pandemic and we've been at this now 11-12 months and I think you know we haven't got everything right I don't mean that but it, it has served me well.
0: Okay, well, when you came into office in January of 2019, you had an aggressive agenda to strengthen and expand Ohio businesses and the lives of people. But as you said, within a short time, everything changed. And the the virus demanding changes in spending and forced you to direct many resources on a containment and recovery direction. But now... You have made proposals in your fiscal 2022 to 2023 budget to generate a conservative budget with planned expenditures and initiatives to help Ohioans get back to normalcy. Well, as you know, cities, towns, and villages have counted on the dollars from the gas tank. It was to be a crucial lifeline to our municipalities and also the infrastructure construction. You know, Ohio has many bridges and roads that need repair or replacement, including the Brent Spence that connects Ohio and Kentucky, and that is the I 75 travel link from Michigan to Florida. What are the projected policies that you have outlined in your budget to meet the needs?
1: Thank you for that question. You know, our goals have really not changed uh, throughout this pandemic. I have felt as we've tried to figure out daily how to deal with the pandemic, that keeping the virus spread down was consistent with keeping business going forward. I, I've always felt that job it wasn't a choice of jobs or fighting the virus. It really those two things really came together. and what we needed to do to fight the virus was consistent with keeping jobs going in Ohio. And we certainly were have been hit, you know very hard. but I've always felt that if we, let this virus really flare up that it would not only kill more Ohioans, put more Ohioans in the hospital, but also slow our economy down. And and so that's been our kind of our governing thought. I think it's, it has been correct. You know, you talk uh, about the budget budget that we just introduced is in many respects, similar to the budget we introduced two years ago. I said at the time that we were trying to invest in Ohio Invest in Ohioans, invest in ourselves. And, and a really basic basic principle is this, is, and that is we want every Ohioan, wherever they're born, wherever they live, whether it's in Appalachia, whether it's in the inner city, doesn't matter. Every child should have the opportunity to live up to their God-given potential. And so our, our budget really has, has focused on that, both our first budget and the budget that we just presented. So early childhood education, early childhood development, reaching pregnant mothers who are in difficult circumstances and helping them so that they can have a regular birth, birth weight baby that is, does not pose problems for that child's survival and allows that child to grow and learn. And these are the basic things that we invest in, in this budget. Uh, you know, you talked about, you ask about the uh, the gas tax and you asked about highways. And as we all know, the amount of money coming into the highway fund depends on the number of miles driven. We pay at the pump every time we fill up our, our, our car. And one of the more difficult things that I had to do right off the bat was when we examined the Ohio Department of Transportation budget, uh, we found that it was structurally imbalanced, that we were not getting the revenue in that we needed. The tax had not been changed uh, at the pump for a number of years. We worked with the state legislature to do that. Never pleasant to do something like that, but we knew that we had to do it. That has really been a lifesaver for us in the last year because we're, we're still at You know, a pretty good revenue income. When we took a real hit, things were shut down in March and driving went down up to 50%. But that did not last horribly long. And if you look at driving today, fairly close to where the baseline you would expect the baseline normally to be. We have really emphasized safety. Uh, We have a, a specific part of our transportation budget that we passed last time and we're going to do the same this time we just designate for safety every community knows of an intersection that's a dangerous intersection or a curve or something where either they've seen accidents or they know that there's going to be accidents coming And so we've devoted part of our budget to literally going in and fixing those. Instead of waiting until a number of people are hurt or get killed, we're trying to be very proactive uh, in that. And so that will continue in in this budget. Something that is new in this budget is driven by the number of fatalities that we're seeing and the number of accidents that are caused by distracted driving. So in our budget, uh, if it's passed by the General Assembly, the budget has language in there that makes distracted driving a primary offense. So if, if today, for example, if someone's going down the highway and the patrol sees them or a sheriff's deputy sees them and they're texting while they're driving, unless that driver is doing something illegal besides that, they can't be pulled over. And so what we do is make this a primary offense. Many states have done this. And we know that a large number of our fatalities come from people texting and just, uh, you know, really, really not not paying attention. In regard to the Brent uh, Spence Bridge, you know how vitally important it is. And it is a it's a major connecting point north to south. But the bridge itself, while it's still a good bridge, the volume it was never designed for the volume of traffic that it it has today. So I've been uh, talking uh, with Governor Bashir, Kentucky, our uh, transportation people, Jack Marshbanks for the for the state of Ohio and his counterpart in Kentucky have, have really been talking. And I'm optimistic that we're going to get something done. Some of the preliminary work is, has been done. And, you know, we hope to get some help from the federal government. But this is a, you know, this is a very, very uh, expensive Proposition, You know, if you, if you look at it, it but, but it's so important, it's estimated, I think, that over $400 billion worth of goods travel across the bridge between Ohio and Kentucky each year. That's 3% of the national GDP. And so it's just it's vitally, vitally important. To date, uh, there's been invested about $142 million from the state and federal government in the preliminary work in regard to that bridge. The total remaining cost, though, is more than $2.5 billion, with a B dollars. And just to put wow. this in perspective, yep. ODOT's entire budget is only $1.7 billion. So we're going to have to have help you know, and we're going to have to figure out a way to, to pay for
0: this. Yep. Well, it's certainly very important. And we found out that quickly when there was an accident and the bridge had to be closed for over a month. <laughs> so,
1: well, we found out very quickly when that happened, didn't we? Yes. Wow.
0: And it wasn't closed just for a day or a week. It was for over a month. Let's move on to yeah. broadband. Rural areas of Ohio have limited access to today's technology. Communication is around the world is through the Internet. How will the development of broadband in the rural areas not become outdated before it is built? We keep hearing that 5G is is going to be the next big step in technology. So what is Ohio going to do to assure that we are the leaders in 5G.
1: Well, excellent question. We really need to do that. But it's not just the 5G. It is, we have a million people in Ohio, a million, who don't have access to the Internet. And that is just a huge problem. And so what we what we have done in this budget is set up a mechanism to have public-private partnerships. My old friend, George Vornovich, and who you, you mm-hmm. knew very, very well, he was a great big proponent when he was governor of public-private partnership, pulling the private sector in together. And the truth is that economically, there are places in Ohio, the reason that we have places in Ohio that don't have the Internet is because it's not economically feasible to do it from the private sectors. But it is in, in the interest of all Ohioans to have every Ohio one connected. And so, frankly, we're going to take some one-time money that we have in this budget and, and spend it for a one-time expenditure. And in this budget that we propose to the legislature is the, the the most ambitious project we have ever had in this area. We propose to invest $200 million to expand access to broadband for Ohio households that lack that connectivity. Again, public-private partnerships. We're going to provide another $50 million to help companies provide low-cost Internet by paying some of the infrastructure costs. And so we won't, today, we don't have time to get into all the details, but the concept is public-private. And, you know, Marianne, neither you and I are old enough to remember, but there was a time in in Ohio, my grandparents, for example, if you lived on a farm, you did not have electricity. It was in the 20s and the 30s that we really saw rural electrification. And the goal was every person really couldn't live be part of the society without that electric. And across the country, we we saw programs, government, public-private partnerships many times that brought electricity to every remote area. Well, we need to do that with the broadband. We need to do that with this. And we're going to really make a huge, huge investment. We have seen uh, just one example of where we've seen the last year problems. A child in Appalachia uh, or a child in the inner city. Who that family, maybe there's broadband, maybe there's the Internet, but maybe that family is not connected to it and maybe they don't have the money to be connected to it. Or maybe they don't. They live in an area where they can't really tie into it, even if they have the resources to do it. And we've got kids who have been going remote. And they don't have the ability to tie in. You have scenes in Ohio of of people pulling up to a McDonald's where they can get they can get that Internet service and sitting out in the parking lot or doing it sitting in the parking lot at a school where they can get that and doing their homework. This pandemic has brought home again some of the real challenges uh, that not being connected uh, presents. So major investment. We're going to really jumpstart this and make a big difference.
0: Thank you for that. It's really important, I know, out there in the rural areas. You also have your marketing Ohio across the United States, and your new slogan is Ohio, find it here. Why has it become necessary? Has Ohio an issue with population growth?
1: Marianne, we've had an issue with population growth for a long time. Uh, You know, I remember a time when we had 25 congressmen, uh, and then we went to twenty three and then to twenty one. We continue to drop and we may lose another congressman this year. And, of course, as our listeners know, that's all based on population and our population has not dropped. In fact, it's increased a little bit. Uh, some of our other states in the Midwest have actually gone down in population. So we're not horrible with this, but we're just not we're not growing like the southwest has grown or what uh, many other states in the south have grown. You know, Ohio depends on people. So we're investing in people. Our growth as a state, our quality of life as a state depends on attracting new businesses here, keeping the businesses that we have. And those businesses really depend on edu- an educated workforce. So in the budget that you and I are talking about, you know, we put some real more resources in there and have created some programs, something that John Houston, my lieutenant governor, is very focused on is what he calls Tech Cred. Check credentials so that if you're working in a company and that company says, Hey, we need X number of people with these skills, under this program, you can upgrade your skills and you get a certificate. It's portable. You could take it to another company if you wanted. It has to be an in-demand skill set. And so that helps the company. It helps you. You can get better pay. And it's allowing Ohioans to upscale their education and their technical skills. You asked, though, about, you know, our plan to tell Ohio's story. I think we have an amazing story. If you look at the cost of living in any place in Ohio, it is so much less. It is so much less. And I would argue the quality of life is so much better than on the East Coast or the West Coast. And we're seeing people flee California. We're seeing them flee, you know, some of the East Coast states as well because the cost of living is too high. We've got other other challenges. Our story in Ohio, we we're Ohioans. We're Midwesterners. We don't brag much. We need to start bragging. We need to bring some of our children back home and our grandchildren back home who are living other places and to tell them, here's the Ohio story. We keep taxes down here. Uh, we attract business. We make it a, a business friendly environment. But even more than that, it is a a family friendly environment this is the best place to raise your kids the best place to raise your family we've got major metropolitan areas all over the state within driving distance of anyone with great museums great world-class sports the symphony anything that anybody wants to do and yet for example you know Marianne in your part of the state somebody leaves Cincinnati you know it's not too long until they're out in uh, farm farm country and uh, you know somebody can live in the villages live in the, in the smaller communities, but still have access to a major city. So quality of life is just great here. And telling this story, I mean, why, why do we care? Well, we need to grow. And we, we want to grow by bringing people in who are, who are well-educated. One of the things that we want to tout more is our colleges and universities. We are a great importer of students. And, and I looked at this statistic right after I became governor. If you look at all our private schools, as well as our public schools in Ohio, we bring more kids into Ohio as students every year than Ohio uh, residents go to other states for college. Again, a great opportunity for some of these young people who come to Ohio to go to college to stay here. The data shows that the majority of people will, their first job out of college will be 50 miles from where they went to college or 50 miles from their home one or the other and that's that's what the average is so attracting more kids to come to college here uh, is something that is very very important and just telling the great ohio story which i think many times is is not told and we don't do a good enough job telling it
0: well and, Governor, you're proposing in your budget money for wellness programs directed at schools and for students. This should be an incentive for people to want to bring their children here to live.
1: Well, again, it's quality of life. And for many years, teachers have said to me, including my son, who's a teacher, Mark, and his wife, Becca, who's a the teacher. They taught in inner city for a number, number of years. And teachers have told me, look, uh, I can teach these kids can learn. Here's the problem. Uh, Johnny comes to school and he's hungry. Mary comes to school and, and she's got dental problems that need to be fixed. Uh, another child comes to school and they, they live in a very tough environment at home. So they've got trauma at home and that interferes with their ability to learn. So this is money that we set aside in our last budget. We're actually increasing it in this budget directly to schools. And we tell schools to well, spend this money on wellness, wraparound services. Some schools are actually setting up clinics, uh, medical clinics in their schools because health care is so bad with some of their students. Some are taking money to really focus on more counseling, some on more on mental health. And, and schools have flexibility, but we give them this money and say, you can't just put it in your general fund. You have to use this for problems that we are seeing in society today, in regard to mental health, in regard to wellness, and it's been very well accepted by the educational leaders of the state.
0: This is very important to many, many parents. Well, we've talked only a few of your budget proposals, but will this spending result in additional taxes, and when will the budget be adopted, and what is the process for adopting the budget?
1: Well, we presented it to the General Assembly. We just did, and then just as in the federal government, uh, when the president proposes a budget, then it's up to Congress. Well, in this case, it's up to the legislature, and they will go through this. They'll hold hearings and they'll take a look at every aspect of the budget and they'll, you know, see what they agree with, see what they want to change, and we'll go through the process. But I'm happy. You know, two years ago we had a very good result in the state budget, and I know people have been concerned about this year's budget, and it is in the sense of, hey, you've been through a pandemic. You know, what are, the, what are the challenges that you face? We made some prudent decisions early on in the pandemic. We cut spending. We cut back on number of state employees. I think we're down about 2,500 state employees from where we were at the beginning of the pandemic. We tightened our belt. We did what people have to do, what individuals have to do. And we also have been aggressive. We've gone out. We have a fairly a pretty low interest rates today, as you know. And we renegotiated some of our bonds. And uh, we got we saved money on the interest, on the bonds that we were paying for capital improvements. So that was something that we did. So we've been very prudent. We've been very careful about our spending. And it, the federal government, as you know, has also come in with some significant money, particularly in the area of Medicaid, which has made a big difference. So as we look at the budget, uh, we see actually some additional money that we have this year that we can spend once. Uh, we don't want to create a, a fiscal cliff that in the future we ramp up our spending on a bunch of programs and then, boom, we don't have the money. So this is a one-time spending. Some of the things that we you and I have just talked about in regard to broadband, for example, that's at, coming out of this one-time spending. And uh, what it means is that our budget is very fiscally sound, uh, strong budget, and uh, we're very, very proud of it.
0: When will this budget be adopted by the legislature?
1: Yeah, it should, it should be adopted by June 30th. Okay. So uh, usually it comes down, you know, they go through the hearing process and then the final budget should be adopted by then because the next, our, our, you know, as you know, in Ohio, our year starts
0: July 1. Good to know all this information. Your wife, Fran, has launched the Governor's Imagination Library, offering free books to children under five. Can you just tell us a little bit about this exciting project?
1: Well, this is an exciting project. This was started by Dolly Parton in Tennessee, along with her father, who apparently could, could not read or could not read very well. And her idea was to provide free book in the mail, a book a month, to children zero to five. And the idea was to get them ready for kindergarten by putting books in the home. And Fran saw this and thought, hey, this is a great idea. And I think when we started, we had about 13 percent of Ohio kids that have signed up for this or parents had signed up for them. We now are at like 37, 38 percent and moving upward. And it's now available. It was only available in, in you know parts of Ohio before. It is now available in every single part of Ohio. So Ohio Governor's Imagination Library, you can go up online. If anybody's listening to this who has children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren who are zero to five, sign them up. And it will be something I think that they will really, really enjoy. We really first started seeing this uh, through some of our grandkids and they had signed up in our county. We actually had it, Green County. As I said, many counties did not. But our grandkids started getting it and they get this book. It's in their own name. So, you know, once a month in the mail, they get this book with their own name on it and they, they start looking forward to that. And they're, they're books that. They're good books. They're books that you and I would buy or anybody would buy if you went out and tried to find a book for a child. They're good books. You know, it's it, it's a great program. The state legislature has provided some money for it. And then we also, it's a kind of a 50-50 match. We rely on money from the local communities. And every local community, every county has stepped up on a 50-50 match to provide money. And it's just a, Marianne, it's just a wonderful, yep. wonderful program.
0: Oh, I agree. Children, you know, from a very, very young age, it's important to open up books and teach them, whether it's numbers or colors, when they're even as seven, eight months old. Let me just say this. You and Fran grew up in Ohio's Green County. You met in the first grade and married while studying at Miami University. Your family in Cedarville grew by eight children. Today, they're 24 grandchildren. Tell our listeners about that annual old-fashioned ice cream social that you hold every year and also that folk band called Radio Ramblers. Tell us about this.
1: Marianne, I'll give you a little update. Uh, As of of November, we're up to 26 grandchildren. We had two grandchildren born uh, in November. One to our daughter, Anna, and one to our daughter, Alice. It was Alice's fifth and Anna's first, and we're very excited about that. But you ask about the ice cream social. In 1976, bicentennial year, I was running for county prosecuting attorney, and Fran said, hey, we want to have an event that people can bring their kids to. So she dreamed up this ice cream social. first year, I made the homemade ice cream, cranked the ice cream. Fran made the pies, and we we had a great time. Probably 200, 300 people came. It's evolved and continued over the years. We now use Young's Jersey Dairy Ice Cream, uh, but Fran still makes the pies. She, I think the last time we did it, she made about 220, 230 pies. And these are fruit pies, too crusted, and they're absolutely uh, to die to die for. And we have about anywhere from 2,000 to 3,000 people who come this past year we did not have it because of the coronavirus and we'll we'll kind of see whether we're able to do it this summer it's a really an event that people can bring their kids to and and they do Uh, a few years ago we started inviting the radio ramblers this is a great bluegrass group and if anybody likes bluegrass or even if you don't like bluegrass they're really good a friend one time told them you know hey we need a we need a song about ohio And so they uh, they didn't write this song. It was a song that was written a few years ago, but it's uh, called Ohio. And uh, I can't sing it or whistle it. I won't try to do that. But it's uh, it's a great song. And every every ice cream social, we have them and they they sing and they play. But they're you know, Marianne, they're like a lot of singing groups, entertaining groups. They've not been able to do this. And so what we hope is you know this summer as more and more people get the vaccine and we move forward on this that you know we'll be able to go to the theater we'll be able to you know go to movies we'll be able to go to live performances and you know we hope the radio ramblers and other other groups are back on the road and uh, are entertaining us
0: yeah well joe mullins the vocalist for the group i enjoy his song i need bacon in my beans
1: yeah Yeah. it's a pretty good it's a good song it just it's just great and
0: that uh, we have a we have a lot of fun with it how can people contact you if they have any suggestions or questions which they always do
1: They can certainly write to the governor's office uh, if they prefer to do that or they can go online governor.ohio.gov and then click on the contact tab so it's governor.ohio.gov and that's one way that they can certainly get in touch with us or as I said if they prefer writing a letter they can they can certainly do that and just send it to the State House in Columbus.
0: Before we close, I had opened the podcast telling our listeners that you've been inducted into the Bobblehead Hall of Fame. Now, (laughs) now we... (laughs) We've seen T-shirts with wine with the wine and the two o'clock somewhere on your wine glasses. But now you're just one of the four governors being toasted with that official bobblehead. And and, go ahead. I'm just a
1: bobblehead now, right? I'm just a bobblehead.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're joining uh, New York Governor Cuomo. California, Newsom, Wisconsin, Governor Evers. And the reason that you guys were elected was because of your actions as you led the charge against the COVID-19. And I just want people, our listeners to know, you can purchase the governor's bobble hat on the internet <laughs> for $25.
1: <laughs> I'm not sure you'll have too many takers there for that, but it's a uh it's been interesting. You know, that I think that all came about as virus hit. We started doing press conferences and just to inform the media so they can inform the public. And we started doing them at two o'clock every day. And it was weeks, uh, you know, a number of weeks until I realized people are actually watching it. It wasn't just the news media, but there's people who were actually watching it and tuning in. So it was cra- great. <laughs> it's kind of crazy.
0: Yeah. And it, well, it's really great. I have one. I actually even gave one to my grandson Well, Governor, thank you for taking the time out of your business schedule or busy schedule to share the direction that you have taken. So thank you. Thank you. I appreciate Appreciate it.
1: Good being with you. Have a great day.
0: My thanks for the producers, Ryan Kulick and Pam Gross, for all their work and efforts they put in to make this podcast. And to all of you for taking the time out of your busy lives to join us to hear Ohio Governor lay out his plans for life in Ohio after the pandemic. If you have any suggestions to hear future interviews or questions, you can contact me, Ann Christie, at high heels politics at gmail.com again thank you high heels and politics with marianne christie is produced and engineered by ION community music
1: by sharad Sate. subscribe and listen wherever you find your podcast.